Welcome to the New Abbey Podcast. We are a Jesus community telling the biggest story of God in Los Angeles in 2020. We're excited that you're joining the conversation with us today. Enjoy. When has honesty changed your life? A nice light question to get you going on a Sunday morning. When has honesty changed your life? Enjoy. Uh, something that I want to talk about is we move into this new series on the Psalms where we're thinking about the complexity and the creativity of what it means to be human, that the human experience is vast and bigger than any one of us. That's the beauty of the corporate human body. And as we get into the Psalms, I want to start this series by thinking about this idea of honesty. So I think honesty is one of the most powerful tools that we have. And honesty, when at its best, leads us to freedom. And honesty is so risky. Honesty at its worst leads us to shame and guilt, and we live in fear. But I believe that the Psalms provide for us these very human words that help us declare the beauty and the goodness and the wonder and the awe of all that is creation and who God is. And the Psalms also teach us to cry out to God and to shake your fist at the heavens and to say, you've kind of screwed this up, God. And that we need the full range of expression to honestly express who we are and where we are as human beings. And that when we're honest with God, then we have the capacity truly to be honest with ourselves. And what I've learned over the years is that when it comes to honesty, that sometimes the church is the most difficult place to actually be honest about things. That we're taught like honesty when it comes to confession, that we need to have some weird form of accountability, but we don't really want to share everything because if we really shared that, then no one would probably talk to us again. Does anyone else do that or is that just me? And then uh, pastors need you to be honest, but are they really being honest? And then who's being honest here? Or there's like the false humility. That's always an interesting one for me in the church where it's just like, no, it's not. It's not me. It's not me. It's all God. God did that. And it's like, well, maybe yes, maybe no. I didn't prepare my sermon last night by just like laying a Bible on my face, right? And just woke up and said, and now it is finished. No, I've done work. I've, I've been a great student of humanity. I've been trying to be a faithful follower of Jesus while going through an imperfect process. The preparing even to speak is not just something that you do in a week, but it's something that you do over a lifetime. And there's not a false humility that goes into that. It's just, it's not for me. It's just, I just have an audience of one. Um, no. Or we live into all of these weird things where we can't completely be truthful about where we're exactly at. Or these people can be truthful about their stuff, but these people can't be truthful about their stuff. And what we really long for is a vulnerability. A vulnerability where we can be honest about what's going on within ourselves. That another human being, that they could be so transformed. That they would be so healed that they would be so mature that they could hold our complexity as they hold their complexity. And when we experience those people, then we become conduits to hold the complexity and honesty for others as well. And so that's where we're going in the Psalms. And so to talk about honesty, we gotta talk about some things. 
We're going to talk about Anthony Bourdain and Queer Eye, obviously. I mean, it's a Sunday. Let's talk about the good stuff. Then if we can talk about that, then we're going to talk about complexity and creativity. And if we can move from that, then, of course, Jesus, my friends. And if we can understand a little bit more about Jesus and how Jesus talks about the Psalms, then numbers 23 and 44. No, this is not a sports ball reference for our big sports ball church here. Um, Then we're going to move from that to talk about the exile. And if we can really understand the exile, then, of course, where I came from, good old-fashioned evangelicalism. And if some evangelicalism, uh, we can understand that, then we can be honest with God. And if we can be honest with God, then maybe we can be honest with ourselves. And if we can be honest with ourselves, can we be honest with others? And then could we allow something really scary to happen? Could we have honesty from others? And living deeply into that honesty, then could we move into some praise? Come on. There we go. Let's do this thing. A couple shows that I've enjoyed over the last decade has probably been Anthony Bourdain and Queer Eye for similar and different reasons. Uh, There's something so beautiful about Anthony Bourdain uh, as he traveled the world. Something that he showed me is that every human being is holy. That we live in a world where we other human beings, where we say that they're different than us or those people over there or that culture, or when we declare wars on terror, we're really saying that a whole swath of humanity might be bad. But Anthony Bourdain, he told stories by sitting at people's kitchen tables and enjoying a meal with them, and recognizing that as complex and as diverse as we are as human beings, that we all need to eat. And we all have a meal that grandma or tia or grandpa made for us that we love and that we know that's true to our values and to our culture. Some of us had tamales or spaghetti and some of us just had bologna sandwiches with just enough mayonnaise. Whatever your family tradition was, there is something about that food that brings back memories for you and that honors the complexity and tells of the creativity of the human experience. The gift of Queer Eye over the last few years for the world has been this powerful reality that these five fabulous men walk into your home and they push your hair aside, clean up your, you know, clean up your pillows and tuck in your shirt and they say, you have always been this amazing. I know that we're going through this process of transformation, but you have been here the entire time. Your complexity and your story and your creativity, now it just gets to shine. And isn't that what we want? And it's fascinating to me that television has the capacity to tell of the complexity and creativity of humanity. And it's places like church where we so limit the human experience, where we so limit the human narratives, where we make everybody be homogenous, where we want them to speak in the same way and somehow sound like the Apostle Paul, which is weird. Instead of honoring the very messiness and beauty and complexity and creativity of what it means to be human. And that for me, that's the beauty of good news. And so the reason that we're going through the Psalms is that the Psalms are just poem after poem and song after song that describe the human complex experience. 
And that something that has happened in the world of church for such a long time is that we want to neutralize things, that we want to clean it up, that we don't want things to be messy. And the Psalms invite us into the complexity of what it means to be human, that Jesus will share from the Psalms all of the time. Sometimes Jesus shares from the Psalms to make a point on the Sermon on the Mount about blessed are the poor. And other times Jesus will share from the Psalms as he's dying on the cross, shouting out to God and saying the greatest WTF moment of all time, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And we need that diversity because we experience that diversity within us. And if we can't come to church If we can't be a people of faith together where we can honestly express who we are and where we are, then where can we do that? Or we begin to repress ourselves or become oppressed by other people. And then it leaks in ways that are not healthy. But honesty is a key to transformation and to healing. And the Psalms invite us into that. It doesn't try to neutralize that or whitewash that. It invites us into describing the beauty of the world or shaking our fists at the heavens because we feel and we experience those things. There are times that we need Psalm 23, that we need this comforting message that God leads us, right, of along calm waters and in green pastures. And even when we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that God is still there with us. We need that comforting message that we were never left alone in the beauty or in the bad that God was always tending to us. We need Psalms like Psalm 44, which is a Psalm of lament. Lament is just this fancy way of saying that we think that God has screwed up the world a little bit. And a third to half of the Psalms are lament Psalms. And that should speak to us that we should know that we have freedom to say to God, I don't get it. I don't get your plan right now. Or where are you in this moment? That that's not me being unfaithful. That God's not terrified of doubt. That God can handle the fact that we wonder where God is at. And Psalm 44 is this big list of, you led me to the slaughter. How am I even at this point in life, God? Where were you? Where are you? And it's beautiful that Psalm 23 can comfort us and Psalm 44 can open us to allow ourselves to experience an honest communication with God about who we are and where we're at. And so for me, uh, I think a lot about evangelicalism and that evangelicalism, my experience of it, didn't provide space for me to lament. That evangelicalism in the ways that I experienced it, the beauty of it, the best of evangelicalism is the energy. It's always what I would call like this resurrection energy. Like Jesus came out of the tomb, things are gonna be good, pump some audio adrenaline, tune up the lasers, hit the fog machine, let's let people know things are never gonna go bad in your life because the blood of Jesus is on you and you can't even get COVID. Amen, brothers and sisters. And sometimes you need that. Sometimes you want that. Sometimes you need someone to tell you that part of truth. But the weakness of evangelicalism was, where is Friday? Where is crucifixion? 
Where is the reality that we're not playing some cause and effect game with God that I can be Christian, I can follow Jesus, but bad stuff can still happen to me? How does that free us from judgment from ourselves and free us not to judge others, that we're not looking at people in some weird causal and effect sort of way? Where do we need these stories of suffering? That one of the trademarks of Christianity is a God who suffers with us. Where do we need those stories? Where do we need to sit in stillness and quietness when we have no words? And it's in those places, in a tomb, in death, hitting rock bottom, that God actually had the most to say. Not when the volume was turned up and the lasers were at the highest, and I guess I'll raise my hand because everybody else is around me. Maybe you just have nothing to give. And so the Psalms invite us into the full spectrum of that reality. And so I want to do a couple things with that this morning. I want to look at Psalm 89, and then we're going to come back and we're going to look at Psalm 103. First, I want to start in a little bit of lament in Psalm 89, because there's a beautiful setup that happens within this psalm. And then uh, it has a very fascinating ending. So follow along with me as we read Psalm 89. It goes like this. I will sing of the Lord's great love. Uh, forever with my mouth I will make your faithfulness known through all generations I will declare that your love stands firm forever that you have established your faithfulness in heaven itself you said I made a covenant with my chosen one I have sworn to David my servant I will establish your line forever and make your throne firm through all generations that what's going on here is that this psalm is actually written in exile, that the people of Israel are in Babylon, that they had been promised that David's line, that King David, that there would always be a king for them to rule in succession, that God would always be there for them, that they would live in a promised land, that there is where it would be flowing with milk and honey. And now these people found themselves in a distant land. Their kings had been killed. Their temple had been destroyed. Their very way of life and understanding of God was gone. And they're trying to declare, now you said long ago, God, that these things would always happen. And so we're trying to declare your faithfulness and your goodness. And for the next like 30 verses, it will say, God, you were there for us and you were light for us and we were in your presence. And it's like, this was like some good like evangelical youth group, like pump up the jams, it's gonna be okay, let's hit the Chris Tomlin, I got this. And then it moves into verse 38, which the tone changes. It goes from verse 37, you said that it would be established forever, like the moon. Your faithfulness, your promises to us are like the moon. They're not even gonna go anywhere. And then we get to verse 38, but you have rejected, you have spurned, you have been very angry with your anointed one. You have renounced the covenant with your servant and have defiled his crown in the dust. You have broken through all of the walls, reduced all of the strongholds. And this is powerful in Psalm 89. It's not just saying, God, where were you? This is a Psalm saying, God, it feels like you did this. You let these enemies come into my gates. You let everything I stand for be destroyed. You let these people talk about me. These were my friends. This was my family. I never thought in God, you did this to me. How many times in life did you need the honest freedom to say that to God? To say, I don't like the way that you've run 
the universe. Not even the world feels bad enough, but your universe, God, you did this. And it goes on and on and on throughout this whole thing. Um, and, and at the very end in verse 50, it says, Remember, Lord, how your servant has been mocked, how I bear in my heart the taunts of all the nations. Right? It's literally saying everybody mocks us. Everybody talks bad about us. Everybody is saying things to us. And God, this is your fault. And then I love like any good Southern Baptist, verse 52, uh, but praise be to the Lord forever. Amen and amen. Gotta go. Right? I love it. It starts with this big beauty and faithfulness, and then it turns to, God, you haven't done your part, and you're the one that said you were going to do it. Okay, but I guess you're still good. I got to go. And I think that we need that type of honesty in our life, that we need a Psalm like 89 to say, what if I could actually be honest with God? And I think that's something that for many of us, we were never given the freedom to ask these bigger questions. New Abbey has been such a gift as I've had so many conversations with the queer community of people who've come out where you've been told your entire life that the thing that is just most innate within human beings are attraction, that there's somehow something wrong with you. And that if you were to ever be honest about that thing, let alone if you were ever to fully express yourself and have an intimate loving relationship with somebody, that God is angry at you. Words like you are an abomination or God may even hate you. And that you were just literally closeted not only from yourself and from others, but from God. That you had to live in shame and hiding about who you truly are. And I think that what so many people have needed and the beauty of stories that I hear is that God can handle it. And that when you take that risk, that it leads to freedom. When you say out loud for that first time, God, I'm gay, that many of you, you experienced a brand new freedom about life. It was difficult and it was challenging, but it was the freedom to be who you truly are. And in that moment, lightning did not come down from heaven. You were loved and you were known and you needed that honesty so that you could be, continue to be honest with yourself that those were lies about you, but who you are is loved and known and a child of God that so many of us just grew up with bad theology as a whole where we were never allowed to question things. I remember the first time that I just admitted out loud, hell sounds like the biggest bullshit that I've ever heard of. I'll take some clappers for hell. I like that. That's good. Because for me, it was, this is not even really in the biblical narrative. These stories, one, aren't found in the Old Testament at all. And what Jesus is talking about is not that that you're telling me that there's a God out there who's supposed to be holy and other and loves all of humanity to the point that God would become human humanity itself and that in that God would judge people on a foreign island who didn't say the words from Billy Graham? What? And that they would be punished for all of eternity? And for some of you, it's just being honest with God about the bad theology that you were given, that there's a God out there who would be so sadistic, right, so narcissistic, that this God would punish people for all of eternity because they didn't get to say magic words? What? I remember the time as a pastor that I stood up in front of everybody and I said, I don't think Adam and Eve were literal. And I remember eight years ago, that was like the biggest thing that I could have ever said. Are you questioning the Bible? Or I think the Bible's true and that's just mythology and a story that helps us understand our humanity. And I don't necessarily believe in a magical talking snake and tree and people who didn't have belly buttons. No, but that doesn't take away from the story. But it was those moments of freedom 
where I could just admit that, where I could just say, God, I'm not sure that that is the thing that I believe anymore, where it was in the risk of doing that, of the risk of just being honest with God and lightning didn't come out, that I had the opportunity to step into different kinds of freedom. And it's in this freedom over here that I experienced a much bigger story about who God is. And so whether it's your sexuality or your addictions or your ideology that when you've stepped out into freedom and been honest with God, that it's allowed you to begin to find freedom with yourself. And for so many of us, we desperately need that freedom with ourselves, that we can't support ourselves. We can't love ourselves because we're so busy hiding things from God that we're busy hiding things from ourselves and we can't truly be honest. And sometimes there are areas in my life that I need to be honest that I appreciate myself. I shared this just a few weeks ago. It wasn't until like the last three months that me as a 35-year-old straight white man in the city of Los Angeles began to love his body. That was a weird, if I ever said that in like my old evangelical world, it would have been like gender identity politics and things and it would have have been weird. But there's just this honesty of what have I been living in with myself that I can't be, that that I haven't loved myself in this way? Or there's the other side of things where I've experienced freedom within this community where people can be honest about the real stuff that they're actually going through. Be honest in genuine ways about addiction. Be honest in genuine ways about the just trials and pains and hurts and wounds of their marriage. That the honesty that we experience with God leaks into us and allows us to be honest with ourselves in the best of who we are and even in the worst of who we are. And it's in that full spectrum that we realize God can handle it. There's nothing that you can tell God that God cannot handle. And that's not like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge. Seriously, there's some things you really shouldn't say to God, but you know what I mean. No, you can say anything to God that you're already feeling and experiencing these things. And maybe in saying it out loud, maybe in trusting that the divine, that the holy wants to hold your wounds and your pains will allow you to love yourself, your deepest, darkest wounds and your biggest triumphs all at the same time. And if you can love yourself, and if you can be loved by God, if you can be honest with God about who you are and the ways that you experience the world, and if you can be honest with yourself about your whole human experience, then maybe you can begin to let others in in honest ways as well. I had shared this a few years back that I was sitting in therapy, and I was talking to my therapist, and he was talking to me about vulnerability, and I said, well, vulnerability, I'm great at vulnerability. And he stopped me right there and he looked me in the eye and he said, no, you're great at self-disclosure. You're horrible at vulnerability. Fuck, yeah, that was awful. And I realized what he meant. I'm so good at confessing things to people, but vulnerability would mean that I actually need another human being. Vulnerability would be like a small animal that needs to be protected by its mother or father. And that we all live into these vulnerable moments where we're going to need other people to stand around us, to hold us, to comfort us, to care for us when we can't care for ourselves. And that if we can be honest with God, if we can be honest with ourselves, could we honestly live into vulnerability with another human being? Because it's going to be terrifying to say that thing to them. But the truth is, in saying that thing to them, it will free you into deeper relationship with them. As Richard Rohr says so eloquently, there's just two great paths, love and suffering. And the longer that you're on those paths, you realize that it's just one. It's just love. That when you love something so well, 
you will suffer. That thing, marriage, kids, relationship, that church, your family, when you love that thing well, that thing now has the capacity to make you hurt, not because it might do bad stuff, but because you care for it, that you might suffer in a different way. And in the suffering about caring for that person that you love or those people that you love, that increases your capacity to love them more. And it's just this endless cycle. And that's what we're invited into when we can live into honesty, when we can live into the vulnerability that that provides for us, when we can be honest with God, and then we can be honest with ourselves, and we have the ability to be honest with others that it's risk-taking after risk-taking after risk-taking, which leads us to more freedom and more freedom and more freedom. And then I think it gets to something that's incredibly terrifying for so many of us. Can I allow others to be honest with me? And I wanna pause here a second. Many of us, because of the types of churches that we grew up in, people were honest with us all of the time and they were incredibly hurtful and they were incredibly judgy and they poured on us guilt and shame in ways that were not helpful or flourishing for our lives. That's not what I'm talking about. You want to allow transformed people to transform you. You don't want to invite into honesty hurt people to continue to hurt you. That within the world of conservative Christianity at times, we so use spirituality, or I would say not even spirituality, bad religion as a crutch, we don't take care of ourselves emotionally and mentally. And when we don't take care of ourselves emotionally and mentally, we say really abusive things and then we do it on behalf of God. And it's incredibly dangerous. And so what I'm inviting you into right now is that you're gonna be so honest with God and so honest with yourself and so honest with others, you're gonna know where to have boundaries and to say, I'm sorry, I don't need those words in my life or those words aren't true. You don't have the right to be honest with me here with your hurt and with your judgment. You need healing and transformation. And as you experience maturity, that you realize that this is your journey and this is not their journey and they don't get these words in your life. And at the same time, let that not be that you've been so hurt by the church before and you've been so hurt by vulnerability before that you don't now allow people into your life. This is not a story of unhealthy codependency that conservative religion often teaches us. And this is not a story of unhealthy independency that culture so often teaches us. This is a story of interdependence. Are there people in your life that are experiencing healing and transformation through God right now, just like you are, and that you can experience reciprocity and mutuality with them? So that as you experience new healing and health, and as they experience new healing and health, you provide more healing and health for one another. It's gonna be imperfect because it's a risk. And as you love them well and invite them in, they might hurt you at times, but you might be able to grow together at times because of that raw honesty. And that's the goal that we're moving towards. I remember being a young college student and being so insecure and being filled with so much ego and arrogance and so much false self that just projected itself all the time as I was just protecting all of the hurts and wounds within me. I'm sure outwardly I thought I was the most confident guy on campus, but in my heart and in my mind, I knew how insecure and pained I was. And I was always terrified of what other people might be saying about me or thinking about me. And I remember one of my great friends and he came to me one day and I knew that there was some people that I'd really offended and they were saying some stuff about me and he just said, Corey, I want you to know that your name will always be safe with me. And it was the words that I needed 
And interestingly enough, it was that same friend who had his own insecurities and his own ego and his own pride, but it was out of his wounding that he could speak that to me. And that we could heal one another in just knowing that I can't speak for all of humanity, but I know at least with this guy that our names are safe with one another. Do you have those people in your life? And when we can live into that honesty with God, and when we can live into this honesty with ourselves and with others, when we can allow others to be honest in our lives, I think it changes our relationship to the divine. It changes our relationship with God. It's no longer inauthentic, fake praise, but that we get to enter into a whole nother world of the Psalms where we get to describe awe and wonder and beauty and need for God in a way that we could never before. Because we know that God could handle our wildest complexities. And if God can handle that, then the praise that I bring God in my lowest moments is so much more beautiful and nuanced and complex than the praise that I offered just in the safe, sanitized room where I raised my hands with the lasers. And I don't ever want to mock that. I had beautiful moments there that healed my life. But I need the full spectrum of honesty that makes this more beautiful and allows me to a new capacity that makes the world of my complexities more beautiful where I can really praise who God is. And so I want to end with Psalm 103 before we go back into question time. And Psalm 103 goes like this. Let all that I am praise the Lord with my whole heart because all that I am is known by God. All that I am is known by who God is. I will praise God's holy name. Let all that I am praise the Lord. May I never forget the good things that she does for me. She forgives all my sins and heals all of my diseases. You don't say that inauthentically. You say that when you've gone through some shit. And what I love is that this is a psalm that David gives at the end of his life. He's praising God because he's gone through some things and he's seen some things and God was still there. God redeems me from death and crowns me with love and tender mercies. God fills my life with good things. My youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord gives righteousness and justice to all who are treated unfairly. He revealed his character to Moses and his deeds to the people of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and merciful, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. She will not constantly accuse us nor remain angry forever. God does not punish us for all our sins. God does not deal harshly with us as we deserve for God's unfailing love towards those who fear God is as great as the heights of the heavens above the earth. God has removed our sins as far from us as the east is from the west. The Lord is like a father and a mother to her children, tender and compassionate to those who fear her. For God knows how weak we are. God remembers we are only dust. Our days on earth are like grass, like wildflowers we bloom and die. The wind blows and we are gone, as though we had never been here. But the love of the Lord remains forever with those who fear her. His salvation extends to the children's children of those who are faithful to his covenant, of those who obey his commandments. And the Lord has made the heavens his throne, for there God rules over everything. Praise the Lord, you angels, you mighty ones who carry out God's plans, listening for each of God's commands. Yes, praise the Lord, you armies of angels who serve God and do God's will. Praise the Lord, everything God has created, everything in all of God's kingdom. Let all that I am praise the Lord. 
that we say that with authenticity and vulnerability in our capacity to be honest with God, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with others, and to allow others to speak honesty into our own lives. We have a question for you all as you jump back into groups. Where are you ready to be honest? Another light one for you. Enjoy. Thanks for listening to the New Abbey podcast. For more information, visit us on the web at www.newabbey.org.